How are you guys tonight? It's good to see you here. Would you guys say a big thank you to my good friend Rhonda and the rest of the band from Mars Hill? Smoking. It's awesome worship. It's so good to be able to see other churches and, and just friends come and share their gifts and come and just be um, willing to share and give and, and to be able to see the different expressions of the body of Christ and the different um, diverse things that God has. You know, it's really unique the way that um, different musicians and churches and, and uh, pastors have their own unique way of doing what they do. And uh, it's always a blessing when we bring people in and, and uh, just, just to see what's out there. It's always good. You know what I'm saying? So uh, tonight we're going to keep on talking about this concept that we've been diving into over the course of the last few months of the distinctions between the two kingdoms that we find ourselves right in the middle of. We've found out that there is a kingdom of darkness that is very prevalent and everywhere around us and many times that we are unaware of its effects and unaware of the ways that it influences our lives. We look around us and we see, um, we see bad stuff. We see destruction. We see abuse. We see depression. We see people that are full of anger and unforgiveness. We see things that any person with common sense would look at and say, that's not right. And it's everywhere. And many of us find ourselves asking the questions, why? How many of you have ever heard something along the line spoken of, if God is such a good God, then why are there so many bad things happening on the world, you know? And there's, and there's some truth to that question and that line of reasoning of, you know, if God is love or if God loves people, then why do we see so much poverty? Then why do we see so many people in other countries that are literally dying from starvation? Why do we see the, the, the different things that are raging all around us that we have no good reason for? And we look at that and we say, if God is good, why is there's so much garbage all around and we have a hard time correlating those two things and being able to reconcile those things. And for many of us, it's a big question mark. And, and, and for some of us, if we're honest, it's a question that we haven't been able to really answer. And so we've been looking at this and we've been trying to come to terms with the fact of just how this whole thing works. In the Bible, we find in the book of Luke a really, really interesting conversation this conversation takes place literally between Jesus and the devil. It's like if you want to find out how things work between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, you can't get two better characters than Jesus and the devil to talk to each other to figure this out. It's like if you want to go straight to the horse's mouth, this is the horse's mouth. And so we find literally a conversation in Luke chapter 4. And I want to pick up right in the middle of them talking to each other. In verse 5 it says... Then the devil took Jesus up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. The devil told him, I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus replied, the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. This is a really interesting conversation, and we've, we've talked about this conversation in depth before on Saturday nights, but 
As we look at this snippet of this conversation, it's really interesting what Jesus does not say to the devil. We find that what Satan says to Jesus is really um, amazing. Satan literally says to Jesus, I'll give you everything that you see because it's mine to give. Satan literally says, the earth is my domain. This is where I rule. This is where I get to do what I want. And he says, Jesus, if you want it, I'll give it to you because it's mine to give to anybody I want. What's really interesting is that Jesus doesn't refute that. Jesus doesn't say, no, that's not true. This world's not yours. You don't have authority over this place. Jesus never says to Satan, no, Satan, this is mine. God created this and he gave it to me and you can't have domain here. Matter of fact, Jesus doesn't say anything to refute the claim that everything that they were looking at together really was Satan's realm or his territory or his home turf, if you will. It's really interesting that really what Satan was saying to Jesus in that moment was, was something along the lines of, look, we both know what's going on here. Satan is saying to Jesus, Jesus, we know that you're coming into my territory and we know that you're trying to change the way that things have been up until this moment. So I'll tell you what, Jesus, let's just cut to the chase and I will go ahead and save us both a lot of heartache. Why don't you just bow down and worship me and I'll just give it all to you right now. You don't have to go through this whole dying. You don't have to go through all the things that you're going to have to go through in order to change things. Why don't we just cut right to the end? It's mine and I'll just give it to you. And you just bow down and worship me, and we'll just call it good. It's interesting that Jesus doesn't really argue with Satan about this. Jesus just responds with the word of God and just says, no, you, you're not going to deviate from the plan of God. But we have learned that what was really taking place in this conversation and what was really being talked about was this concept that death, that darkness, that bad things, that injustice, that poverty, that abuse, that, that depression, that anger, that all of these things that had been having free reign over planet Earth was getting ready to be changed. Literally what was happening is death was being invaded with life. That darkness was getting ready to be invaded with light. That all of the things that were decaying and breaking down and falling all apart was being invaded with the goodness of God. And all of a sudden there was going to be a transformation that was going to start taking place. There was going to be a complete reformation from the inside out. And Jesus and Satan were talking about this event. Jesus and Satan were talking about what this, this ramification was going to take place. That love was literally about to invade everything. There's a picture that I'll put up behind you. Behind me, excuse me. There's a picture of this dark sphere that we've been talking about on Saturday nights and, and how it represents literally the, the area that we live and how everything on this planet was completely encapsulated with darkness and sin and the curse as a result of the wickedness in man's heart and the rebellion towards God. And we talk about this conversation between Jesus and Satan as literally being the event of God 
which represents that crown up there, coming down into this blackness and invading it. And literally that spark of light, that explosion of light, literally was the thing, the moment in time that changed everything. And literally in that moment, Jesus was an outsider and he was coming inside. He was from out here and he was finding a way to rescue us and to come inside where we lived, in the middle of our pain, in the middle of our darkness, in the middle of our brokenness. And last week we started talking about this this understanding of how God does what he does in the blackness, in the darkness, where you and I have found ourselves living. And we discovered last week that as we look at scripture and we start to find the heart of God, that there is one thing that must happen in order for God's will to go forth. We found out last week that literally God cannot do anything on earth. God cannot do anything on earth unless we ask him to. Unless we engage our will and we say, God, let your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. We learn that prayer changes everything. That that is literally us giving God the opportunity to do what God desires to do. Right here where we live. We talked about the scripture in Matthew chapter 5 that says, You are the light of the world. You're the light of the world says that it's like a city on a mountain. It's glowing in the night for everyone to see. And then he gives us this amazing command. And he says, don't hide your light under a basket. Instead, put it on a stand and let it shine for all to see. Don't hide your light. See, when you and I live in the world that we live in, and we see the things that we see every single day, the devastation that we see, the pain that we see, the people that are broken all around us, what they need more than anything is they need the light of Jesus to be shown to them in the midst of their darkness. And the most important thing that you and I can do to shine our light is when we pray. When we pray, we literally are taking the light of Jesus and we're shining it for everyone. And it changes everything. We know that, that the refusal to open our mouth, the refusal to pray, is literally something that stops God from being able to do what God wants to do. That when we fail to ask or when we fail to engage, when we fail to invite God into our situations, it's as if God is looking, but he is powerless to be involved. God needs us to ask him to get involved in our lives. God needs for us to ask him to get involved in the lives of our children and the lives of our friends and the lives of our family. Now, if I were to ask any of you here who are dealing with somebody that you know, that you love and care about, and you know that their circumstances or their situation is one that if you could go inside and fix it, you would do it right now because you care and because you want to be involved in their life and you see the things that are happening and you wish that you could just make them stop. Prayer does that. Prayer does that. Just before church tonight, a friend of mine pulled me aside and he said, Jason, my daughter is facing a situation that is completely out of my control. She's out with some boys, they're driving around, 
trying to get her to go home and, and she's just, she's not willing. And as a father, standing on the outside of a situation where you want so bad to be able to go rescue your daughter, you want so bad to be able to go and just get involved in the situations, you realize that sometimes we can't. And he says, let's pray. Will you pray with me? And as we were praying, it was this understanding that though I can't be there right now, though I can't be there to physically change the circumstances, our prayer was so specific and it was so direct. It was like, God, go right now into that car and grab the steering wheel and take her home. It was that understanding that God desires for us to pray with that type of boldness and directness. We read a story in scripture last week that, that told of a, of a woman or a man, excuse me, that went to his neighbor's house in the middle of the night. And he knocked on his neighbor's door and he says, hey, I got friends that just came in from out of town and they're hungry. Can you give me some food to share with them? And the neighbor says, man, it's three in the morning. Get out of here. I'm sleeping. My kids are in bed. I'm not giving you nothing. And the story that Jesus told was that the guy kept banging on the door. He didn't let up. He just kept on making a scene. And the picture of it is literally the picture of like a, a, of a toddler in a grocery store, just like my oldest son used to do to me and my wife. It's the most embarrassing thing in the, in the world to be in the grocery store with your three-year-old who is screaming, I want a toy or I want candy. And you're just like, shut this kid up. You're not getting any candy. But they're so obnoxious. They're so loud. They're making such a scene that finally, what do you do, parents? You just, here, just take the freaking candy, all right? And you just, you got to shut them up, right? Because they're so bold. They're so brass. They're so just, I'm going to get my way. And you know that that's what Jesus says we're supposed to act like when we pray. We're supposed to be like that two-year-old that is not going to take no for an answer. And if you don't hear me, I'm going to make a scene so that everybody will know until I am heard. That's what Jesus told us to do when we pray. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? That's, it's like, are you serious? Now, how many of you, if you're honest, think of prayer as a very reverent, oh, I'm going to just be very quiet and shh. I, you know, I don't want to be disrespectful. I don't want to upset God with my requests. I don't want to say the wrong thing. And yet Jesus says, make a scene when you pray. Be direct. Be bold. Don't beat around the bush. Go to God and tell him what you need. In, in Matthew chapter 11, we find a different dynamic tonight as we talk about prayer. Matthew chapter 11. Jesus is talking to his disciples in this encounter. And they're talking about a man named John the Baptist. And this guy, John the Baptist, was a prophet that was a predecessor to Jesus. The Bible literally says that John came into the picture to kind of make everything ready for Jesus to come after him. And as Jesus was talking about John in this encounter, he says, before John came, all of the teachings of the scriptures looked forward to this present time. And from the time that John the Baptist began preaching and baptizing until right now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. And yet violent people attack it. The kingdom of heaven is forcefully 
advancing. See, when we talk about darkness and light, when we talk about the, the place that you and I call home, we talk about things that are not as God created them to be. We talk about things that are literally upside down. They're out of order. If I were to ask you how many of you have been directly affected by a divorce in your family, almost every single one of us in this room right now would raise their hand. Either you've personally been through a divorce, your parents went through a divorce, your whatever, you know the pain of what it is to have a family break apart. And yet, you know what God said in the very beginning of time when he created man and woman? He says, I'm going to put them together and I don't want anything to tear them apart. So tell me what's real. Was God's heart of bringing man and woman together and nothing being able to tear them apart, was that God's plan? Or is it how it is in our society today where every person just about that we know has been touched by the pain of divorce? Well, obviously, divorce wasn't what God created. Divorce wasn't what God said is what I have for you, people. It's not what God dreamed up when he thought us up as human beings. And yet, that's the reality of the darkness that we live in. That's the reality of where you and I call home. And as Jesus talks about the scripture in Matthew, and he talks about the kingdom of heaven coming to earth, and he talks about how ever since Jesus came and John the Baptist came, that the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. He's talking about a struggle. He's talking about literally a war. He's talking about two kingdoms colliding, fighting for territory, fighting for ground. Who's going to be in charge? Who's going to win? Who's going to take up the space? And you and I find ourselves right in the middle of this resistance. And what we find is that you and I, in a lot of ways, have gotten used to the pain. You and I have gotten used to the darkness. You and I have learned how to do the best we can with where we live. In other words, you and I have learned how to succumb to the perceived fate that we think is as good as it's going to get. I had a guy that I met one time who had just gotten out of prison and I know I'm in good company here talking prison stories, right? Plenty of us know that, that story. I've never personally been there yet, but I still got some time to go. I'm, I'm working on it. But this guy told me that he got to know some guys in there that had a long sentence. Some of them were doing life. And he began to explain to me the mentality that you had to adapt that you had to put on, that you had to literally have become a part of you because you had to do your time. And you couldn't really hope for anything because you had to just focus on what you had to do in front of you. You had to just do your time. And this, this mentality, this perception that you had to literally get used to was a mentality that completely just put hope aside because it was all about survival. And for many of us, we come into a place like this on a Saturday night, 
And a group like this is really diverse. A group like this, we've got some of people who have never had any kind of an encounter with God before, and we just wander in here, and we're just like, what is going on here? I hear music and this and that. And we don't even know how to, how to respond in an environment like that. We've got other people who've been in church maybe all your life, and, and you're very familiar with, with something that's familiar like a church service or something but every single one of us has been touched by the darkness and every single one of us has, has had to, in some ways, be affected by it. And, and as I've talked to a lot of people that are in that painful state of not knowing that life could be better through, through Christ, they come to a place to where they almost would rather not get their hopes up than to get their hopes on something and then have their hopes dashed. It's better to not even hope at all and just try to get through than to put your hope and go, oh, things are going to get better, only to fall into that familiar place of things falling apart again. And we all know what that feels like. We all know what that, how, the, the hurt of being let down like that. But I want you to understand is that when Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, and when he talks about the, the way that you and I bring hope, bring light, bring God's will into the darkness and into these situations. There's a resistance that's happening and we as people naturally resist it. We don't want it. It's a, it's a resistance to want to hope. It's a resistance to want to let God into these situations. And God says the kingdom of heaven is not going to stand by silently anymore. The kingdom of heaven is forcefully advancing. It's going forward. And yet there's this violent struggle that is taking place all around us. And you and I find ourselves tonight needing to make a violent response. See, when two things are at war, when two things are in the midst of struggle, you know, I could put two guys up in front of you right now. And from this crew, it would be fun, really. But I could put two guys in front of you right now. I could say, hey, man, just punch him. Just knock him. Hit him right in the jaw. Let's just see what happens. What do you think would happen? That violent action, we would see a violent response, wouldn't we? And it would be, it would be on. I mean, it would just be UFC right here in front of us. And, and we understand that. We get that. We understand that a violent action requires a violent response instinctively, and yet, when it comes to what we have had happen to us in this world, we don't understand that God is waiting for us to violently respond back. We've been attacked. If I've asked you, have you ever felt like you've been attacked by darkness? How many of you ever said, yeah, but I just sit back, I don't know what to do? Well, I'm about to tell you what to do. Prayer is an act of violence. Prayer is literally an act of violence against the darkness. You think about the people in your life right now that are being beaten down. You think about the people that you love that are being torn down, that are being ravaged by everything that you can imagine. They need for you, they need for me to fight back. They need for us to get ticked and for us to begin to use the proper response. 
And God says that prayer is an act of violence, that the kingdom of heaven is forcefully, violently advancing, and that there is this struggle coming against it all the time. In Luke chapter 18, we find another encounter where Jesus talks about prayer. In Luke chapter 18 and verse 1, it says, One day, Jesus told his disciples a story to illustrate their need for constant prayer and to show them that they must never give up. Jesus says, There's a judge in a certain city who was a godless man with great contempt for everybody. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly appealing for justice against someone who had harmed her. The judge ignored her for a while, but eventually she wore him out. I fear neither God nor man, he said to himself, but this woman, she's driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice just because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. And then Jesus said, learn a lesson from this evil judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think that God will surely give justice to his chosen people who plead with him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? He says, I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when I, the Son of Man, return, how many will I find who have faith? Think of this story. A judge who literally hates everybody. I don't know how he found himself in the position of sitting on the judge's seat, but I would not want to show up in that, that guy's courtroom. But it says that he had contempt for everyone. In other words, everybody was a bother to him. And Jesus says, I want to teach you about prayer. This widow comes before him and she says, I will not be ignored. I want justice. I want to be heard. I want the wrongs that have been done to be made right. I want the things that I see that I can look at and identify as broken to be healed and made brand new. And literally, Jesus is saying, this is the response and this is the heart that I want you to pray with. And don't ever give up. He says, look at this woman. She was persistent. She never gave up. And as we look at this, these two kingdoms, we, as we look at darkness and we look at light and we see the way that we have been ravaged and we see the way that the world has, has been susceptible to the disease and the breakdown and the pain and we see the way that we have succumbed to it and we see the way that we've adopted that prison mentality of, I just got to do my time, I just got to get through, I know it's not right, but I don't want to deal with it because what can I really do? I can't do anything to change it, so I'll just get through even though it hurts, even though it's not right, I'll just try to get through. And Jesus is like, look at this widow. She knew that something was wrong and this guy could make it right. And she said, I'm not going to stop until the wrong is made right. Those of you that are here tonight that have experienced an encounter with God and that have opened up your heart to Christ, you literally have the keys to justice in your hands. You literally have the keys 
to healing in your hands. You literally have the keys to be able to take people who are broken and damaged and bring healing and life to them. Those keys have been given to you. They haven't been given to God so that God can be up there and just say, okay, this guy's going to get some and this guy's going to get some. No, Jesus says, I've given you the keys to the kingdom. I'm giving you the keys to unlock the locks. Now go and do what I showed you to do. And whatever you bind on earth, it'll be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose right here, I'll make sure it happens. Just go out and do it. Go out and be my hands and feet. Go out and be my disciples. Carry the light of the world. He says, you're like salt. Everywhere you go, you affect things. Everywhere you go, people will taste you. Everywhere you go, you will take it and you will leave a lasting impression. Because when salt is poured on something, you know it. It changes it. It changes it big time. And Jesus says, here you go. You're the light. You're the salt. Go. And how many of us who would wear the shirt that says, I am the light of the world, fill like we're, we don't make a difference. What's happened to us? What's happened to us is that we have failed to see that prayer is literally a partnership between us, the child of God, working with God to bring his will on earth. We have forgotten that God can't do anything without us. We've forgotten that our voice Praying is literally the voice that invades the darkness and it gives God the open door to come into the dark crevices of the world that you and I find ourselves living in every day. Prayer is a partnership with God. God is up there saying, I can't wait for somebody to pray so that I can get busy. I can't wait for God, for someone to pray so that I can invade the situation. You know that many times... We find ourselves paralyzed in prayer because we listen to the lies of the enemy. He says things to us like, you don't know how to pray. You don't do it right. The disciples said to Jesus a simple thing, Jesus, teach us to pray. And we've been talking about the Lord's prayer continuously, how simple it really is. It literally is just opening the door to heaven and saying, God, come on. We need you here. God, come in. Come and do what you know to do. I don't see it all, God. I don't know how to fix this, but you do. So come into my situation and do it. Sometimes we listen to the voice whispering in our ear that says, you're not qualified. You're just, you're not, you're not there yet, Jason. You're not spiritual enough. You just, you got to get a little more time under your belt first before you can really start praying and seeing things change. Or what about this one? Look, Jason, God knows what you did yesterday. So don't even bother asking him for anything because you're a mess. Yeah, you're right. I'll just listen to this voice and I'll just keep my mouth shut because I'm too embarrassed. I'm too ashamed to actually go to God because, I mean, God, what if he finds out I'm a sinner or something? Crap, that would really screw things up. What if he finds out that I'm like made of the dust of the earth or something? I mean, that would just really let him down. No, my friends, God is not let down with our humanness. God is not disappointed in our humanity. God is not disappointed 
with our brokenness. Matter of fact, that's why Jesus loves us so much. That's why God came for us. Because he saw our brokenness. And just like a good father, he couldn't leave us that way any longer. He said, I've got to get to him. I've got to touch him with my own hands. They need a hug. I've got to get my hands around him and show him that. I've got I've to touch him. I've got to be able to look him in the eye and tell him that they're not broken. That I've got to look him in the eye and tell him that they're valuable. That I see what they're worth because this world is just completely lying to them and telling them that they aren't worth crap and that they are just miserable. And Jesus came and he did that. He touched the sick and he touched the broken. He touched the lepers. He touched the outcasts. He came and he, he brought them to himself and he says, this is how God really is. You feel like you're thrown out? God goes and pulls you back in. You feel like you've been discarded and that you're not worth anything? God says, I will die for you. You are worth so much to me. And as we find ourselves dealing with this, this amazing concept of prayer, and we find ourselves dealing with the, the lies that we struggle with and the, and the voices in our head and the voices of the enemy that continually bombard us and try to silence us and try to keep us from engaging, we must realize is that God is for us. God is for us. God is for you. God is desiring for you to experience the joys of seeing somebody's life change as a result of your prayer. God is desiring for you to experience the joys of simply trusting God at his word that if you pray, he will do what needs to be done that God wants you to experience the power and the amazing truth that prayer changes everything. In 2 Chronicles, we find a scripture. It's written in the middle of this crazy story. But this is a truth about God, and it says, the eyes of the Lord, literally the eyes of the Lord, search the whole earth to strengthen those who, whose hearts are committed to him. It gives, me this, it gives me this impression of God looking, scanning, saying, who's going to let me have it? Who's going to bring me into the situation? Who's going to allow me to come in and change what they say can't be changed? Who is going to allow me to come in and what looks like an impossibility, turn it around and make it possible? Who's going to do it? the eyes of the Lord just scanning the earth looking for somebody that he can commit to, that he can strengthen. It's like, God, I believe you. Let it be me. Let it be me, God. There's been so many things that we have seen happen in the lives of people that come through these doors periodically on a weekly basis. Things that we've seen absolutely 100% change a very, very short period of time because of prayer. Because we just say, God, we're screwed without you. 
you got to do something. We're going to pray. We're going to ask you to help. We're going to bring you into the situation, and we're going to let you have it. And many of us are feeling the excitement and the zeal and the joy that comes with seeing God move and seeing God change things. This Tuesday night, we're going to be here at 7 o'clock, and we're going to just come and pray. We're going to come in here this, this week, and we're just going to open ourselves up and allow God to just do what he wants done. When we come to God, we don't really have an agenda. Our agenda is his agenda. We come to him and say, God, what do you want to do? You get to use my mouth to say whatever you want to say, God. Speak to me so that I can speak it out loud and I can bring your will on earth as it is in heaven. It's an amazing thing. I'm going to have Rhonda and the band come up. We're going to spend a few moments tonight reflecting on God and opening our heart up to what it means to let him talk to us right here, right now. If you've never been here on a Saturday night with us before, we, we like to close things out every week by coming to these tables. There's one here and a few in the middle of the room. But we come and we, we take this bread and we dip it in this juice. And when we hold this in our hand, it becomes something more than just bread and juice. It becomes literally a symbol of our faith and our response to God. And we offer it to God in such a way that we are saying, God, I remember everything that you've done for me. And when I get together every week, I am choosing to realign my priorities and my desires with what the most important thing in my life is. And it's you, Jesus. There's nothing else that's more important than you. And so what we do is we come to these tables as an act of our will. We willingly come because we want to say to God, I remember you. But then we take the bread and we take the juice and we go back and we find a place of prayer. And then we say to God, now you speak to me so that I can respond to whatever it is that you have on your heart. And this is a moment of communication literally between us and God. It's a moment where we get real with him and then we invite him to get real with us. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful when we can come and we can unload our burdens. It's beautiful when we can come and we can find rest for our souls. It's beautiful when we can come and experience the forgiveness and the grace that we need so desperately in our life. And so if you're here tonight and, and you've never done this, but you want to, I want to invite you to. I want to invite you to open your heart up to Christ, to open up your heart to Jesus and say, God, I want you. And by faith, I'm going to go through this ritual. And by faith, I'm going to invite you to come into my life tonight. And I'd love nothing more than to be able to talk to you and pray with you and be able to explain what it is to have a relationship with God and to, to walk through that with you tonight. And so if you're here tonight and that's you, then... I'll be right up here and you can come and find me afterwards because I'm glad you're here tonight. God's after your heart. All you got to do is say yes and respond to him. Would you guys come?